Hey everybody, glad that you have joined us again this week or whenever it is that you're watching or listening. As always, you can find our, our teachings right here on the YouTube channel, but also you can find them on the podcast. If you've missed any, there are dozens and dozens of them up now, in particular on the podcast, because it goes back further than the actual YouTube channel teachings do. So I want to encourage you to go there. If you're looking for those, go to xa-unc.com and click on podcast, and it'll take you right to it. Hey, I hope you had a great Easter. I know I have had a tremendous Easter just reconnecting with the Easter story and the significance uh, that it brings to all humanity, but also to myself. I hope you've had that similar experience this past week. Uh, we did a teaching last week that took a, we stepped out of the Sermon on the Mount series and into Easter and just tried to put us in the shoes, if you will, of, of the disciples, of the Jesus followers of that first Easter. And hopefully that will that will help you better connect with the story. So if you missed that, check it out here on the YouTube channel or again on the podcast. Well, this week we're jumping right back into the Sermon on the Mount series and we've got a good one for you. This, is, this week's topic as Jesus is addressing it here in Matthew chapter 7 is one that non-believer and believer alike have brought up or they've been in conflict with in some way or another. And it's really important that we interpret these verses well so that we have a, not only a common understanding, but that we are adhering very closely to what the scriptures and what Jesus is trying to teach us here. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5 is where we're going to be. And this is what Jesus says there. It says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now Jesus in his, his line of teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount, he's moving here from largely inwardly focused teachings to now outwardly focused. Primarily pre previous to this, he's dealt with themes of connecting with the interior spiritual life and attitudes of the heart, like in giving and prayer and fasting, materialism, uh, and even anxiety over material things. But now, he turns us to the way we think of and the way we treat others. Now, maybe you've run into this before, and maybe you haven't. Uh, when someone says, you can't judge me, or no one can judge, and they point right back to this passage in Matthew chapter 7 as proof of that stance. Well, I think as you're going to find in the next few minutes, it doesn't just read as you pick it up on the surface. So the intent of what Jesus is trying to teach us here is not just the surface level of what you first see. But in order to do that, I think we're going to have to take a minute and, and define what we mean by judgment uh, or judging here, if you will. There's certain kind of judgments that belong to God only, and there's other kinds of judgments that God places in the purview of people. Now, the first of those that belongs to God is the final judgment, right? This is the ultimate judgment of a person's life. It comes at the end of their life. It takes into account both that which is known and that which is done and that which is unknown about them. And because of that, really only an all-knowing, all-fair, all-just God is capable of rendering that judgment in terms of where each of us will be in our eternities. Is that going to pass us on to hell or is that going to mean we move from this world into being with God? That belongs to him only, as does the next one 
in large part because only God can judge the heart of a person, right? The intentions of a person, the motivation, and what really resides at the center of each of us. Luke chapter 6, verse 37 echoes this from Matthew chapter 7 and what Jesus is teaching here, but he also gives us an important distinction as well as it points to the final judgment and other types of judgments. Luke 6, 37 says this, Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Now there's two different words here. Sometimes that condemn is being translated as judging or judgment as well. And there's two different words that are being used in the Greek here. And the front end, it's a word called krino, which has to do with pronouncing an opinion about right and wrong, right? Judging things as right or wrong. The second part of that verse where Luke is referring to condemning, that type of judgment, that has to do with what we just talked about, the final judgment, right? Like the ultimate decision by a court of law, for example, to pronounce someone guilty or innocent. And that ultimately belongs to God as does the judging of the heart, as I just mentioned a moment ago. Sometimes we like to think, as human beings, that we know what's in a person's heart, that we know what's in their thought process, we know what their motivations and their intentions are. But let's be honest, that's practically impossible to be consistent at. You might guess right sometimes, but you're going to be wrong a lot of the time. And in any case, it would not leave us in a position uh, to, to truly judge someone and where they are at in, in life and where they are at in their relationship with God and with others. Now, there's many verses that will point that out to us, so I just want to encourage you to go to some of those. John chapter 7, verse 24, Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, among others. So if you have time, go and connect up and get some context on that one as well. But then there's also judgments that people are to carry out, right? One of those is within the church context. Within the church, if you have someone who is going against the, the, the standards and judgments of God and the teachings of God, the leaders of the church have a responsibility to correct that, to point that out, to make the person aware of it so that there can be, uh, that person can move to a healthier place. But they also have a responsibility to all the other members of the body of the church, right? To make sure that false teachings and things that go against God don't bleed out and infiltrate and, and harm other people in their walk with God as well. Now, this is not a situation in that type of judging where you can just say, well, I think I know, right? This is, becomes a situation where if there's a conflict between two people, or there's a conflict between a person in the church and the, and the Bible, that there has to be evidence brought, brought forth, right? It has to be some known, corroborated evidence and must include at least two witnesses and for, it to, for it to count. And in that situation, it is appropriate and right for judgment to be handed out. Now, the last one is also the type of judging that's necessary for every person to carry out, whether that's in, in friendship or relationship with someone, in a community, in a society, in a country, if you will, and certainly applies to the church. And that's, that's the type of judging that relates to beliefs, morals, ideologies, and certainly standards as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says this. It says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So the process of following Jesus requires us to make judgments all the time about ourselves, about others, and, and look at that against the standards that God has put out for us. Now that back half of the verse where it says take captive every thought, this is not a control mechanism. This is, a, this is one to apply to ourselves internally, right? Take our own thoughts captive and judge our own thoughts 
not to try to control what other people are thinking. Now, if you've done this and you're thinking, okay, then I need to make judgments, what do I do when someone says to me very strongly, you can't judge me, nobody can judge anyone, and it becomes a bit more of a confrontation or a personal attack, at least in the way that it's viewed? Well, I would put it to you this way. We're not using our own standards and calling people to those standards, something that, that we've made up. Because let's face it, when human beings come up with their own standards and their own morals, it's conditional, right? We'll make them to fit our own situations, our own likes, our own dislikes, and they're very inconsistent and they're different from one person to the next. But in this context, I would say to the person, listen, I'm just testifying and witnessing to you about God's standards, about God's judgments, and the consequences if we don't follow them, right? So you're bearing witness to a standard and a judgment that God has issued and that we find in the Bible in particular. In that sense, it kind of neutralizes the ground a little bit if the person's willing to receive it. Why? Because then it allows you to get back to your primary motivation for them, being not to judge them, but to show love towards them that they would be right in right relationship with God. It's a very different motivation. In addition to which, you're saying it's not my standard, it's God's standard that we are attempting to adhere to. In addition to that, you're essentially saying, listen, you also need a savior for the forgiveness of any violations of God's standards or God's judgments as you make them aware of the consequences as well. So you're ultimately pointing them back to Jesus, pointing them back to God's standard. Now, that's really difficult in the season in which we find ourselves, right? It's a season of inclusion and tolerance, and, and, and those words are good in and of themselves, but when you, when you practice them, they, they, they have some very difficult outlays, if you will. Some seem to think or hope, in this case, that Jesus has said, you must accept any lifestyle or any teaching, and that's clearly not the case when people use the verse that way. In fact, just a little bit later in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 15 and 16, Jesus commands us to know ourselves and others by the fruit of our lives. And when he talks about that, he's talking about good fruit, bad fruit, right? And so that requires in and of itself some assessment, discernment, and judgment. It's just, it's just required for that process to happen. And so here's, here's where it, it really comes to meet the road. The Christian is called to show unconditional love. That part, I don't think any of us are going to argue against whatsoever. We can't offer love to people for what we get in return from them uh, or only if they do what we say to do. That part, we're not disputing in this. But the second part is, Christian is a Christian is called unconditional, unconditional love, but not unconditional approval. Now, we really can love people who do things that we should not approve of. If we just look in the mirror, we know this to be true. For all of us, have done and will likely do again something that shouldn't be approved of, and yet we find a way to love ourselves. We find a way to correct our course. We find a way to get back in alignment with the standards and judgments of God. So the judge not part is not a prohibition on judging, but it is a caution about how what, when, and why you judge. How can we mess it up? Well, let's take a look at that for a minute. Sometimes, as we've seen throughout this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus keeps pointing us back to guarding our own hearts, right? And in the practice of judging, even though it's necessary, sometimes we do it the wrong way. How could that be true? Well, when we think the worst of others, 
we can be do, judging incorrectly and unfairly. When we only speak to others about their faults, when we judge an entire life by its worst moments, we're doing it incorrectly. When we judge the hidden motives of others, which we can't really know in full, when we judge others without considering ourselves in their same circumstances, if we were in their shoes. And lastly, when we judge others without being mindful that we ourselves will be judged in the same way. These are ways we have to guard against in order to practice judging in the way that it ought to be. And how should it be? Fair and balanced, for lack of a better phraseology, if you will. It says, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And so even though Jesus didn't prohibit the judgment of others, He requires that our judgment be fair and consistent. That we, we judge others by the standard that we also accept to be judged by. What happens though is when our judgment in regards to others is wrong, it's often not because we judge according to a standard, but because we are hypocritical in the application of that standard, right? We judge the person based on the way they behave, but then we don't apply the same standard to ourselves, often being far more generous and gracious to us than we are to them. And then we get to verses 3 through 5 where you pick up on this, this, this analogy that Jesus is giving, this picture that He's giving to us about the speck in your brother's eye and the plank in your own eye. He says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank in your own eyes? Now, the speck and the plank would certainly be things that are common that we would understand, but He exaggerates them a little bit for effect so we understand them a little further and gives us a better picture. Jesus shows us how we are generally far more tolerant to our own sin than we are to the sin of others. Now an example of this in the Bible would be in John chapter 8 verse 7 where the religious leaders have gathered around, picked up rocks, and are going to stone the woman they've caught in adultery. Has she committed sin? Yes. But Jesus tells them, who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. And so he's saying, you're the one, she may have a speck in her eye, but you have a plank in yours that you're unwilling to acknowledge at this moment. But when he speaks those words, of course, we know the story that they, they slowly filter away until none is left. And we have to continue on there just a little bit to see that he still calls the woman in adultery to a standard, to his standard, right? When everybody has left, he tells her, I don't condemn you either, but go and sin no more. In other words, go and live a life according to my standards and judgments. Jesus also seems to indicate here that the one with the plank in his own eye would not immediately be aware of it, right? He's blind to his obvious fault. It's the attempt to correct the fault of someone else when we have the same or even greater fault in ourselves. And he uses a pretty strong word right there when he calls those of us that do that a hypocrite. Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, Jesus is gentle, but he calls, a, he calls that man a hypocrite who fusses about small things in others and pays no attention to great matters at home in his own person. So our hypocrisy in this matter, these matters is almost always more evident to others than it is to ourselves, right? Um, we somehow find a way to be blind to or ignore the sin in our own lives. Uh, this again is another example, 2 Samuel chapter 12, when Nathan tells David a story to see how David might judge the person in the story. And in the story, a man unjustly stole and killed another man's lamb, and Jesus, uh, Jesus, David immediately comes in and slams the person. What he doesn't realize is Nathan's telling him a story about himself, because David has done something far worse than that. It'd be worthwhile to read that, 2 Samuel chapter 12. 
So the challenge is not whether you can judge or not, but to do it with proper motivation to examine yourself first, right? First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So the implication is here, you still need to help your brother or sister with the thing that they're struggling with, okay? But not to bring condemnation and shame and guilt and trap them in it while overlooking your own hypocrisy in the process. So it's a good thing to help your brother, but not before dealing with your own sin. So how can we sum this up? I'm going to give you a few things. First off, again, judging is necessary way of life. We can have no morals, values, justice system, anything in the society without it. Secondly, it's necessary for our own benefit and for others. And I didn't say this earlier, but this is something really important to point out. We're talking about this as, can I judge somebody else? But the way all of us are designed in relationship with one another means it's not just about us judging sin as somebody else. It's also letting people point out the plank in our own eye, right? It's a two-way street. Judging, though, must be done fairly and equally applied. Judge yourself first. All judging should be with God's standard as the measuring versus our own. And finally, all judging should be done with the other person's best interest at heart. So, do we need to judge? Sure. It's a necessary part and component of everyday life. It's necessary for following Jesus well. Um, and, and we need to call it out in each other, right? When we see it. But we need relationship for that as well. But when we do that, we got to slow down take a look inside, do our own self-examination first before we start pointing out things in other people. But together, we can call each other to God's standard as we go. Hey, love you guys. God's peace be with you. Can't wait to see you next time. God bless you. We'll see you later.